Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, I'd like to invite you to stay with me. It'll be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a little bit of education with absolutely no manipulation. That means we we don't have hidden agendas because we're not trying to con you into doing anything. We're not soliciting any money from you. We're not asking you to join up, fess up, give it up, nothing like that. This show is simply about giving you accurate information, information that should help you verify and identify God's plan for your life. And if you can do that, you always have the freedom and the privacy to orient and adjust to the plan. So welcome to the Flatline. If you're a listener at one of the many stations where we are, from Texas to California to New York, you understand what the term flot means. Forward line of troops. That's a military term used for the main line of resistance. What we're trying to do is use a military analogy to be descriptive of the Christian life. And, And that's not unusual. Paul did that in the Bible when he talked about putting on the armor of God the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Remember that? That's a military metaphor. But we're using a military analogy here. The main line of resistance is composed of ten unique problem-solving devices found in the Bible, the Word of God. This is nothing new. This is not some new discovery. These are age-old biblical doctrines that have always been around. But what we've done is we put them into a system where you can now see how, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can stop the outside source of adversity before it ever becomes the inside source of stress. That's why we have the main line of resistance. Adversity, well, that's inevitable. Stress is optional. Because adversity is what circumstances do to you, and stress, well, that's what you do to yourself. So learning these ten unique problem-solving devices That's the key to living the Christian life. That's the key to you understanding why you do what you do and why God does what he does. Remember, problem-solving device number one is, in fact, rebound. What problem does that solve? The problem of our sin. We all sin. The Bible's clear about that. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But it goes on to say if we'll confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. So that's the key, number one. You can't live the Christian life in the energy of the flesh. The Christian life is, in fact, a supernatural life, and it requires a supernatural power to live it. And that power is problem-solving device number two, the filling of the Holy Spirit. There can be no filling of the Holy Spirit with unconfessed sin in your life. You're kidding yourself. But if you will be faithful to name your sin, I didn't say don't sin, that's impossible. Now, someone may tell you that if you're a good Christian, you won't sin. And supposedly, I guess that's accurate. We don't want you to sin. But remember, you're plagued with a sin-infected human nature, and you're always going to have it. Even the disciples had it. Even the Lord told Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows in the morning three times tonight. And that's somebody that walked with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. 
so you act like you don't sin? Remember, sin is always in three areas, something you think, say, or do. And a sin can be something as simple as worry. A sin can be something as simple as guilt or fear. These are mental attitude sins, and really, this is where most believers commit most of their sins, mental attitude sins. And then there are sins of the tongue. Those are things you say, like lying, gossiping, slandering, and then there's the overt sins or the outward sins. And those can be things like stealing, like committing murder, like committing adultery. These are sins as well. And so when we sin, we know we break fellowship with God because the Bible tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And we know if we will confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to restore us to fellowship. This is called walking in the Spirit. So if you're rebounding consistently, then you are in fact being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Holy Spirit solves the problem of the genetically formed sin nature controlling your life. Because you have a battle going on inside of you. You have an old sin nature, and you have the Holy Spirit. And the question is, as the Bible says, which one are you going to let control your life? That's why the Bible says the flesh wars against the Spirit. The Spirit wars against the flesh. So as you learn, as you grow, as you take in the Word of God, as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you begin to advance in the Christian life. And you come to use the faith rest drill that's standing on the promises of God, using the promises of God as a shield. And Paul taught this very thing in Ephesians 6. Pick up the shield of faith. And the shield, the promises of God, have to be mixed with faith. Those promises are no good if you don't mix them with faith. But if you will, if you'll use the faith rest drill. And by the way, we have a book about all of this. If you don't remember this, you can always order our book, Christian Problem Solving. We'll send it to you free of charge, never any charge for anything we do on the show. But if you don't remember the faith rest drill, you should learn it. It's critical. Moving from the faith rest drill, we move into grace orientation. We know we're saved by grace. We know we live by grace. And we know we will experience surpassing grace in heaven. The grace of God, the Bible says, for by grace are we saved through faith. And it's a gift from God, not of works, but someone would boast about it. So being saved is a grace gift from God. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You simply receive the gift. And how do you receive it? The Bible says, whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So you and God can have a powwow. You and God can have a conference call. And you can tell God the Father you are believing in Jesus Christ. That's the moment that you will receive eternal life. And then the Bible says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things become new. The new creature is now, instead of just having a body and a soul, now you have a body, now you have a soul, and now the Holy Spirit indwells your human spirit, and now you're able to have fellowship with God, spiritually speaking. That's the new person. So grace brings all this to you. Not only are you saved by grace, but you live by grace every day. It's nothing that I enjoy more than to grace people out, to treat people in grace like I've been graced out, to not charge, to be free with gifts, to overwhelm them with love and kindness and compassion. That's grace. Not to be moody, not to be stingy, 
not to be some sort of uh, person who is all the time hypersensitive. That's not grace. That's a pain in the you-know-what. But as you learn grace and live by grace, then it's a wonderful way to build rapport with people that are amazed at how you live your life. From grace orientation, we move to biblical orientation or doctrinal orientation. This is where you begin to base everything you do on the Bible, on the Word of God. That's called divine viewpoint, not human viewpoint. Divine viewpoint is you understanding the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says the New Testament is the mind of Christ. So as you learn the Bible and apply it into your life, you generate momentum in your life. That's why Jesus Christ our Lord said, happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. That's momentum. Hearing and keeping the word of God on a consistent basis builds a biblical inventory of ideas. That's biblical inventory of ideas. In other words, you're learning God's word, you're storing it in your frame of reference, in your memory center, and then when you need to use it, it's called wisdom, or the Greek word Sophia, wisdom. Listen, you can hear the Bible taught all you want to, but if you don't apply it, it doesn't do you any good. The Greeks had a word for this. It was called gnosis knowledge, and that's simply knowledge you heard and understood. But they also had another word called epinosis knowledge. And the word epi is a preposition meaning full, and the difference between the two is one is the knowledge you heard and understood, the other is the knowledge you heard, understood, and applied. That doesn't mean that 100% of the time you're always going to make the right decision. That means at least if you make a bad decision, you know why and you know how to recover. From biblical orientation, we move to a personal sense of destiny. And here is where you walk through a door. Here is where you leave your agenda behind. Here is where for the first time you and God are now working together. He has a plan. He has a geographical will for you, a place he wants you to be. He has an intellectual will for you, something that he wants you to think. He has a plan for your life. And as you grow in grace, as you learn his word, as you stay filled with the spirit, that plan unfolds. That's the door, the personal sense of destiny. It has to do with your spiritual gift, what God has equipped you to do, and also with the fact that you're headed to heaven to be face-to-face with your Lord. One of the things that I'm always amazed at is when I'm speaking in various venues and various parts of the country, as Christians that I run into, uh, they're not really hot and they're not really cold. They're just Christians. They're believers, yes. I mean, they're going to heaven, yes. But they're distracted by the details in life. They have a lot of other things going on, and they do go to church every now and then. That's the ritual of religion. They go on Sunday. Sometimes I call them the nod to God crowd. And maybe they might show up on Wednesday, but the rest of the time it's pretty well, you know, do what you need to do with your family, with your job, forget about God until next Sunday, and then you show up and get a little inspiration again. Believers like this that are not cold, in other words, they're not in reversionism, they haven't just walked away from the plan of God, and they're not hot, in other words, they're not 
really advancing and growing on a consistent basis, they are loser believers. They're losing out on all the blessings that God could give them. Blessings in time as well as blessings in eternity. Our Lord talks about these sort of people in Revelation 3. I'm going to read some things to you. Listen carefully. And to the angel, that's the pastor, the pastor of the church in Laodicea, write the following things. And here we go. This is a solemn pronouncement of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other, so since you are lukewarm and not hot and not cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You say you're rich. You say you've acquired great wealth and you need nothing. But do you not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, even naked? Take my advice. Get your gold from me. Get your white clothing from me. And then you can be clothed and your shameful nakedness need not be exposed. Buy eye salve from me and put it on your eyes, the Lord said. This illustrates how a church, how a member of the royal family of God can convince themselves that they don't really need anything due to their material prosperity. This is the most dangerous place for a Christian to be. Material prosperity. See, there are two types of testing you will face. One is adversity, and the other is prosperity. Now, under adversity, that seems to draw us to God. We don't have the answers. We don't have the solutions. And so, under adversity, we go to the Father, and we are insecure in our own answers, and we're asking God for help. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he said he had a thorn in the flesh. And he asked his heavenly father to remove the thorn. And he prayed three different separate prayers. And every time, our father would say no. And eventually he said, my grace is sufficient. Now, if that was you, you would prefer to have the thorn test taken away. But God told Paul he, his grace was sufficient to handle the thorn test. What does that mean? Paul said, the weaker I am, the stronger I am spiritually. When I'm weak, I'm actually strong. And this is a strange thing. When I'm strong, prosperity, I'm actually weak. But when I'm weak in prosperity, I'm actually strong. In other words, the more adversity you face, the greater the test, the closer it draws you to God. But these believers, they had no needs. They didn't think they needed anything. They had an unrealistic self-image. This was definitely a wake-up call from our Lord. This is what I want to remind you of. Don't get trapped in an unrealistic self-image. Don't go to the mirror and look at yourself and say, I'm a pretty good Christian. I tithe. I go to church every Sunday. I don't use bad words. I don't drink that old nasty liquor. So I'm a pretty good Christian. That's not what a pretty good Christian is. That's what the world may tell you. That's what religion may tell you. That's not what the Bible says. 
the Bible has a whole different term to refer to refer to those pretty good Christians. And it is you growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ so that you begin to represent Christ in your life. That's a pretty good Christian, but not you observing some ritual or some taboo. And then thinking, for example, that the reason you have all this prosperity is that God's pouring out his blessings on you. In other words, I've been a good little boy, and now God's blessing me. But if I'm a bad little boy, God won't bless me. And then you reduce God to human standards. You reduce God to making some type of emotional decision about you. That's not the way he works. These people in Laodicea were blinded, blinded by cosmic thinking, human viewpoint thinking, all the material prosperity, all the goods that they had, and they thought they were in good shape. And the Lord said, look, you're not hot and you're not cold. You make me want to vomit. You say you're rich. You've got great wealth. Well, yay, good. That doesn't make you a great Christian. And you need nothing. And you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I'm not going to go into all those descriptive adjectives, but here's the deal. Unrealistic self-image. Where does that come from? It comes from arrogance. An arrogant person does not see himself as he really is. He sees himself as he thinks he is. And remember that arrogance is always following a pattern called self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption. So the arrogant person justifies whatever he's involved in. He's, this, these people are justifying that they are good Christians, that they have a great blessing from God, that they've got great wealth. They've even said deceive themselves into saying we don't need anything. We're well off. And our Lord had to say, no, you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. Naked means they have no eternal rewards. Naked means they have no equivalent righteousness in their life. They're living in the energy of the flesh. Poor means no rewards. Listen, when you get to heaven, one of the things God wants to do for you is bless you in a phenomenal way. It's called escrow blessings in time and escrow blessings in eternity. These people didn't have it. They had temporal blessings. They had physical prosperity. This is not escrow blessing from God. And they thought it was. And so our Lord had to wake them up and told them, look, if you want to be rich, you need to get your gold from me. Get your white clothing from me. By the way, in your resurrection body, do you know there's something called the winner's jacket, the winner's robe that you wear over your resurrection body? This indicates that as a mature believer, you wear that translucent robe, that white robe. That's the winner's jacket. And that's what God has for you in eternity. Now, I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. These are wonderful blessings that God has for you, not only in eternity, but also in time. And so our Lord says, you need to put some eye salve on your eyes so that you can see yourself as you really are. They didn't understand what they were. This town of Laodicea was the closest town 
uh, up to the north of the hot springs, what they call the natural hot springs up around Heropolis. And these hot springs were often used for medicinal purposes. To the east of there was a place called Colossae, and they had nice, pure cold water. So they had efforts to pipe water in, and they were successful. But the hot water arriving in a cool-down state and the cool water arrived in a warmed-up state, and neither one was very appealing. And so this church offered no spiritual healing, no hot water, and no spiritual refreshment, no cold water. They were just lukewarm. This metaphor used by our Lord is that the lukewarm water is like an emetic, or the Greek word emeo. It causes you to gag. It causes you to vomit. It's something you buy, and when your child swallows poison, you give him an emetic to make him throw up. It's very unpleasant. I had people used to give me castor oil. I threw up real quick when I got that castor oil. Any Christian who does not stay filled with the Holy Spirit, any Christian who is not growing in grace on a consistent basis has this effect on our Lord. They make him gag. That's what this passage said. You're making me gag. I'm looking at you in all of your righteousness, in all of your glory, in all of your wealth, in all of your riches, and you think you're so cool, and you don't even know that you are blind, you can't see yourself as you really are. It's an interesting thing in this word blind. In Ephesians 4.17, Paul talks about being blind spiritually. And it comes from the words kotizo, which means to be blacked out and not see yourself as you really are. That comes from scar tissue in the soul. These people had scar tissue. The scar tissue wasn't related to immoral degeneracy like you would think. You know, this scar tissue was related to the moral degeneracy. Self-righteous, religious, moral degenerate. There's nothing more obnoxious, nothing more offensive than a self-righteous religious person who thinks that he's doing God a favor by showing up at church on Sunday morning throwing a few bucks in the offering plate and doing his prayer for the Sunday and then heading out. You're kidding yourself. God is not impressed with that. God is not asking you for one day a week. He's asking you for seven days a week. Full-time occupation with Jesus Christ. So this metaphor, making our Lord gag, is very unpleasant. Christians in this reversionistic lifestyle and not not an immoral lifestyle no but a moral lifestyle but remember when we talk about moral degeneracy we're talking about the christian that would kill you in the name of god and think he's doing god a favor oh they're out there there are people out there that are christians that are believers in jesus christ that would shoot people and think they're doing god a favor there are religions that would kill people and blow people up, and they think they're doing God a favor. Oh, but they're very moral. They wouldn't drink, and they wouldn't fornicate, and they wouldn't whatever. That's what I'm talking about, the morally degenerate man. These are the scribes and the Pharisees that hatched the plot to murder Jesus, moral degenerates. 
And when you have to deal with those sort of people, they don't see themselves as they really are. They see themselves as they think they are. And they think God is real happy with them. They think they're turning God on because they live a certain lifestyle. That's not what the Lord says in this passage, that you're making me gag because you're deluded. You have an unrealistic self-image. You don't see yourself as you really are. These believers had this ritual of worship, but there was no value to it at all. And you have to remember this phrase, ritual without reality is meaningless. Ritual without reality is meaningless. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how much you sing in the choir. I don't care how many Sunday school classes you go to. I don't care how much money you tithe. If you don't understand the mechanics to how the protocol plan of God works, it's meaningless. Because you will do all the right things, but you will do them in all the wrong ways. And you will get to heaven, and you will face a bonfire in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you will find you produced a great big truckload of wood, hay, and stubble. You have to remember this. Don't love the prosperity. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world. Do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And this talks about priority in your life. Priority. What is your priority? Your material possessions or your relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? See, once you've moved into this sort of thinking, once you get involved in this moral degenerate thinking, well, you'll stay involved in your church. And you will follow after all sorts of false teachers that come along because they will appeal to your emotions. Oh, you will like the you will like the study where we give it all to God, and you will like the study where we we uh, surrender all our cars or we surrender all this. Somebody's always coming up with something goofy to make you more spiritual, to make you closer to God, and it's always dealing with your emotions trying to get you emotionally stimulated, and there's never any content to it. All these sort of people love that. They love to develop friendships and court you. They don't teach you. They don't teach you mechanics. When the Bible says you have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there's only one way to do it. You have to understand the mechanics. You must understand how the Christian life functions. In Hebrews 6, we must progress beyond the elementary instructions about Christ and move on to maturity. In Hebrews 5, the writer said, I'd like to teach you a lot more things, but you're not capable of comprehending it because you're just kind of dull of hearing. I hope you've been listening today, and I hope you're not dull of hearing. And I pray you're not sitting in a church like those Laodiceans did who thought they were wonderfully rich and prosperous, when in reality they were gagging our Lord Jesus Christ, who looked at them and saw their pharisaical, self-righteous, religious, phony do-goodism. Don't fall into that trap. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until next week, this is your host, Rick Hughes 
saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.